The Free For All Roundtable. Round two. On round two today, it's a joy to say good morning to Anne Lacasse Dowson, CTV radio commentator, Larissa Waller, public affairs strategist, and a Canadian Ukrainian who's under sanction by Russia. That'll come into play shortly. MP for Spadina, Fort York, Kevin Vong is here as well. Let's mix it up a little and start in a different spot than we did on round one. Uh, in the city of Ottawa, apparently the order went out last weekend when they had a celebratory two-year anniversary for the convoy protests. Police were told, do not engage the protesters, do not issue any tickets. And uh, I'll start with you, Larissa. I'm fine with that because I know that people want the police to crack heads, especially when it's like a pro-Palestinian protest or something like that. I just prefer they supervise and keep the peace. Yeah. You know what? I was thinking about this and I heard you say that earlier. The police um, are most successful when there's nothing to report, right? If the worst you can say is that you didn't find someone, you know, on the police checklist, that's probably a success. It's hard to measure success when nothing happened. But in, in policing land, nothing happening and there being no incidents is actually the win. Now, they, the police did engage in two previous protests, Kevin Vong. Uh, one of them was uh, about uh, trans people. The other was a pro-Palestinian protest. Apparently, tickets were issued there so people are calling out and saying it's a double standard well i I think the tickets are being issued by by bylaw right so we have to remember that's different from police and the police objective of ultimately keeping everyone safe at the end of the day we want to ensure that we're protecting everyone's charter right to peaceful assembly and freedom of expression and that their job is to ensure that if it crosses into anything that might be illegal to to act but that's not always possible, as we've seen here in Toronto, um, but they're there to keep us safe. And, and like Larissa said, no news is good news. And like I say, Dowson, of course, Montreal is a place where protesting is a part time job. Well, you know, we have seen a lot of protests and I live right near Protest Central, which is the side of the mountain where uh, groups tend to congregate, including the common front workers before Christmas. There's like thousands of people coming down park avenue headed into the downtown peacefully i might add like so protest is a, you know a pillar of our democracy and we need to accommodate it inconvenient as it sometimes can be but i do find it weird that the bylaw people ticketed pro palestine and pro lgbtq protesters for making noise 490 dollar tickets they were in fact it's a lot of money but they didn't ticket the, the convoy people who lit fireworks in a parking lot on Queen Street in Ottawa, bringing back bad memories for people who lived through the convoy occupation of the downtown that went on for almost a month. So I take the point that those are two different jurisdictions, but I do find that weird and contradictory. And it looks very bad on the Ottawa cops who really screwed up the convoy issue. They really messed it up. And that's why the Emergencies Act was invoked. So. I would suggest maybe they go back to their, uh, they have a couple of meetings and, you know, coordinate themselves better because it's a bad look for Ottawa authorities. Well, let's stick with the Emergencies Act and the Freedom Convoy, the original iteration of the Freedom Convoy, because one of the principal organizers is now suing over the Emergencies Act and in particular over freezing bank accounts. Let's start with Kevin Vong. Yeah, so full disclosure, I had previously voted in support of the Emergencies Act. That's something that I now regret in, in hindsight and wouldn't have done um, if if we had the vote again. Um, you know, it's many of us, majority of Canadians, were in support of the Emergency Act at the time. We had to rely on 
what the government was telling us. And unfortunately, as an independent member of parliament, I don't have the benefit of, of legal uh, opinions or, or caucus research and all that sort. But what clearly happened was an unconstitutional overreach. I, I know the federal court has ruled that way. And, you know, this latest uh, lawsuit is an important um kind of next step to ensure that the mistakes that happen don't happen again, and ultimately a federal government is held accountable. And like I say, Dawson, I wasn't the biggest fan of the Emergencies Act, and in particular, I thought the government was very vulnerable on the aspect of freezing bank accounts, so they may be vulnerable now in this civil suit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suspect they are. I mean, I wasn't a fan of the Emergencies Act either, but I have a lot of friends who lived through the convoy occupation. And it was outrageous. I mean, it was really outrageous. It wasn't a bunch of bouncy castles and friendly people. They were yelling racist epithets at people. They were, I mean, it was outrageous. And the cops were completely overwhelmed by it. So I understand why people would have supported the Emergency Act, though I'm, you know, leery of that kind of government intervention with regard to protests. Those convoy people pushed it to the the edge and right over, in fact, so-called Freedom Convoy. Anyway, I mean, I, it'll be interesting to see what the courts come up with, because the federal court will probably be, chal- there's going to be a Supreme Court challenge on that for sure. And well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But I, I'm I'm not surprised that the government did do some of that stuff. Those people got money from all over the place. That convoy, so-called freedom convoy, was just a out, outpouring of rage at a bunch of different issues. It was a big ideological mess, and it's a sign of how discredited in some ways our political process has become. It's a pretty scary thing, and I think people in par- and power need to be thinking carefully about that and how to fix some of this, the problems that aggravate these kinds of uh, these kinds of outpourings of rage. Larissa, I can appreciate both sides of this court case in terms of legal arguments, and I make no fearless predictions about the outcome. <laughs> I, I don't like living in a country where you can, the government can freeze your bank accounts. Like, ultimately, that, that's where I'm at, because I can argue and I can... Um, I can think about everybody's different perspectives. I never thought the Emergencies Act was an appropriate um, a tool to fight or to um, uh, to combat uh, the the disorder and and the issues happening at Parliament Hill. It also turns out that it wasn't needed. Like in hindsight, it wasn't needed. But even when it was happening, the risks were very regional. And the police, I'll agree with it. The police had the tools. They weren't using the tools they had. They didn't need the Emergencies Act. But ultimately, the idea that the government can freeze bank account bank accounts. Um, seemingly arbitrarily, and I, I get that those bank accounts were li- linked to the Freedom Convoy, but for example, when when the convoy was starting, it was it was responding to a feeling of of just distrust in the government and people just being really angry and really sad, and the federal government stoked that instead of tried to temper those feelings. And there was a lot of people across the country who donated to that, who aren't anti-government and who don't want to overthrow the government. They just sympathize with people who are feeling that way. Interesting perspective. Appreciate that. Um, It uh, will cost less to back Ukraine now than to fight Russia later. This is the thesis of a column that was uh, published today. And Larissa, I'll start with you on this one because you are the person who's been sanctioned by Russia. You live in Vladimir Putin's shadow. I entirely agree with this analysis. It's why I very much back the idea of providing arms and money to Ukraine. I always say it's like if we could have paid Poland to defeat Hitler rather than having to fight ourselves. Yeah, and you know what? Um, 
so one tomorrow's the anniversary of the of the uh, total invasion of Russia, but Ukraine has been fighting a Russian invasion for ten years. But you know today Russia is out shooting Ukraine ten to one. They have that much more ammunition. Ukraine needs ammunition more than anything. They need um, they need support in the skies. They don't need empty promises. They don't need press releases. They don't even need the government to be focusing on a trade deal right now. They need bullets, and I think. <laughs> Um, a lot of people, especially on the right um, and some on the left, but especially on the right who are maybe growing tired of supporting Ukraine, they're not responding to the morality argument, but they might respond to an economic argument. And I think that advocates like me and like, um, you know, commentators and like government officials need to be making that economic argument that it's good for the economy of the West to defeat Russia now. And then, like I say, Dowson, I make the World War II comparison. A lot of people forget that the right got that war wrong in Canada and the U.S., particularly the U.S., where they said, not our fight, we don't care. That is true. When Hitler invaded Poland, a lot of the right wing and the corporate elite thought, oh, well, that's okay. We, we, you know, up until that point, they were fine with it. And even with the invasion of Poland, and then they thought, oh, maybe he's overstepping. So you're right about that. But I think that there's larger forces at play, and it has to do with the expansion of NATO. And I can understand Putin's irritation with that, because NATO is now positioning itself to be the power, like the Pax Americana via NATO, and Putin is irked by that. You get to invade Ukraine because you're... No, I didn't say NATO. that. I think that you you have to be cautious about this, and I'm not a big fan of arming anybody at this point. I, I, would, include, I would include Israel in that group, actually. I don't think invading Ukraine is okay at all, although you have to put it in a historical context. That border area there, that sort of... Uh, they call it a zone tampon in French. That border area is heavily Russian, and there's lots of sympathy for Putin in that zone. They speak Russian in that zone. So it's awkward, very awkward. And I think we need to be very cautious and hold back and not invest heavily in that because that's that's going to escalate. Putin is a very aggressive former KGB guy who's building the greater Russia again, at least in his mind. I don't think we want to be part of that agenda. Okay. Cannot negotiate with Putin. I'm sorry. Like, that makes me just so mad to hear anybody say that. You know, I'm sorry you're mad, but Canada has to be cautious about this. I don't, I don't, I, I get your point. I'm not a fan of Putin. I don't get that. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't appreciate his aggression in Ukraine. But it's really important for Canada play, to play a moderate peace broker role in these conflicts. And I would, inc I really don't understand why. We are so sympathetic to what's happening in Ukraine, and we have turned our back on Palestinians. Let me turn to Kevin Vong, and it informs the situation, of course, your armed forces. Well, yes. Uh, so this is the first time I've been on the air with Anne. So I'm just going to respectfully say that I could not disagree more with with what she said. You know, the whole point is to prevent conflict from reaching our shores, and Ukrainians are bravely fighting not just for themselves and their country, but for, for us here and everyone who believes in the rule of law and values democracy. You can't appease a, a bully. Every time you do, like someone like Putin, dictators will see that as weakness and, and they continue to push the envelope further. We saw that with what they did with Crimea, with Georgia, and ultimately those were kind of the precursors that led to now the full illegal invasion of Ukraine. You have to fight back. And that means equipping Ukrainians. Um, and going back to what Larissa was saying, by doing that, that 
protects and saves Canadians, Canadian lives, as well as our economy, because the war is not on our shores and our soil, and we have a moral duty to help them win this war. Two senior staffers from Doug Ford's office, who are now ex-staffers, have been appointed to a committee that selects Ontario judges. They don't appoint them, but they recommend them for appointment. Is there anything untoward about that, Larissa? So uh, what you just said is the whole point. They don't appoint the judges. They are an administrative body that's made up of, it's a selection of people, justices, lawyers, laymen and women, veteran lawyers, um, who make uh, a recommendation to the auditor general, uh, attorney general. Um, I'm I'm okay with it. In principle, someone's got to do it. Um, and, you know, honestly, I, I know uh, the, the person who is the chair of the committee very, very well. You couldn't have a more honorable person with integrity. So I'm okay with it. And I think that this is just how our system works. I'm going to have to call it there. We're out of racetrack, but my thanks to Kevin Vong and like I say, Dowson, Larissa Waller, some disagreement and clash on the panel, but everybody's friendly. It's funny, you know, we used to, back when everybody was in studio for roundtables, sometimes they'd get into a finger-pointing, finger-jabbing argument, and then I'd turn off the microphones, and they'd walk out in the corridor and say, what are you doing this weekend? Morning, Ralph. Morning, Ralph. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845, weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.